0: The second reading for the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Phrygia, Asia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our Gospel Proclamation for the Day of Pentecost comes from the second reading of Acts chapter 2 that I just finished reading for you and serves as the theme for this day, believing is the battle. On this holy and joyful Pentecost day, we celebrate and thank our dear Lord God for the great and timeless gift which he bestowed on earth. When from heaven he revealed to us poor earthlings his holy, precious word, a word that is neither common nor ordinary, but is special and stands in sharp contrast to the law of Moses. For it was on this very day that Christ established his kingdom through the apostles, a kingdom that through the gospel is revealed to the whole world. Of course, Christ possessed this kingdom in his own person from all eternity, but it is on this day that the Holy Spirit used the apostles to reveal it to all the world. And this revelation was made with great courage, boldness, and joy by the apostles, those same lowly fishermen who, because of fear, had a short time ago denied and deserted Christ, being weak and terrified. I know what you're thinking, and if you are not, may I give you something to think about. What happened to the disciples to mark this incredible change in them? I mean, just a few months earlier, we had the disciples who kept their mouths shut, except for Peter, of course, sometimes even when Jesus was asking them direct questions. Now they are the heralding announcers of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, from men cowardly hiding in an upper room, to defiant proclaimers of undeniable facts despite the consequences? Before, we saw disciples that could not understand the easiest of Jesus' teachings, to become teachers themselves to even the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Before they were disciples, they could not connect the dots between Jesus and the Father to embodying the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and the mighty works of God. Finally, the disciples went from their desiring to be with Jesus for their own glory and power from on high to seeking that which God desired with no glory for themselves at all. Same people Completely different attitudes, personalities, and even confidence like we have never seen in them before. And it didn't come from within. It came from Christ and his death-defying act that changed them forever. I like to refer to this as a paradigm shift. I've had a lot of paradigm shifts in my life that God used to change me in ways I never saw coming. Most were through experience, some were through education, and some were simply from a gentle word of counsel from someone who loved me and wanted me to know what they could tell I did not know. I'm sure you've had this experience as well. You were going along in life thinking that all things worked in a certain way and that you were comfortable with all the terms, the organization of it all, and the basic actors that kept your paradigm in that order. Then suddenly... A comet-like source of energy entered your universe, opened your eyes, and you would never see the world the same again. Like that moment when you got the perfect job, the perfect home, or that perfect boyfriend or girlfriend. You took possession of that perceived perfection, and then it turned out to be less than the perfection you were certain it would be. The career and vocation turned into watching the clock and looking for the greener grass over the next office building. The forever home became a forever headache of maintenance, foundation, leaking roof and termite issues. And that dream boat of a boy or princess for your passions turned out to be a boy or girl. All men are pigs, no exceptions. All women are crazy, no exceptions. At least that's what I've heard. My Marcy is perfect. That's my wife. The reality is that not much out there is the reality we want. It's more the thing that we're wanting, we're not getting, and the thing that we're getting, well, is not what we are wanting. We learn, we learn to love again, and we learn that the real objects of our love in this world really need to be. From hope to hopeless to livable reality is maturity. But what if I told you the disciples turned out hopeless with no hope at all for any reasonable maturity? What if I told you the paradigm shift for them was more about what was done to them rather than what they could do and learn for themselves? You see, the disciples couldn't experience, live through, and find the reasonable end on their own because theirs and our actions and efforts could never bring about the paradigm shift they experienced. Because their paradigm shift didn't come from learning it and telling it. It simply came by receiving it and prophesying it. With the coming of the Holy Spirit in today's lesson, they finally saw the prophecies for what they were. The very secret of the universe laid out in the foundations of the world, now clear in their seeing and hearing, whatever the case may be. How many times have you read a favorite book or watched a favorite movie, and each time it revealed a deeper truth you didn't see before, or your change in maturity helped you to see something you simply didn't pay attention to before? I've kind of reached that point in my life, that today's movies don't really interest me much, although I do have to make an exception for the new Top Gun Maverick. But in general, I have been going back to my favorite movies from the 70s and 80s that I saw a long time ago, but of course, was much younger when I first saw them. The change in these movies and how I understand them now is significant. Almost like they're totally different movies. The talking sections are much more meaningful, the action, not so much. What they are saying is about the greater truths in life are much more meaningful than the rock'em sock'em fight scenes I used to think were the only good parts. That's not because I changed myself. It's because the gospel changed me. This gospel utterly changed the disciples today, too. They knew there was a messianic line from King David. Now they know that Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. They knew Jesus could work miracles, even raising the dead. They know now he is God. They knew Jesus was crucified and dead for sure, Now they know you. They knew Jesus was crucified and dead for sure. Now they know he was physically risen from the dead. They knew that Jesus was the rabbi, good shepherd and spiritual leader. Now they know that he rules with power and authority at the right hand of God, the father. Back to my childhood movies. Well, it really wasn't mine, but it was more my brother's. But I saw him watching it, so I remembered the catchphrase really well. And that is of the cartoon G.I. Joe. This was a pretty good one, and served as the basis of why many a young man joined the military, only to discover that it's really nothing like G.I. Joe when they got there. Totally cool for me today. Because like I said before, the dialogue has become more important than the action was. In this cartoon, there would be a resolution to a problem that would teach a moral lesson to take away from that episode. And when the moral lesson was imparted, they would add to this catchphrase, "Now you know and knowing is half the battle. It occurred to me, looking at the Acts of the Apostles this week, that this was the difference between the disciples before and the disciples now. Now they know. And now they are ready to do real spiritual battle. And even more than that, it's not just that they know. Even the demons know who Jesus is. Even the Pharisees and Sadducees knew. Even Herod and Pontius Pilate knew. They all knew about the miracles. They all knew about his power. They all knew he could heal the incurable and raise the dead. So knowing only got them halfway. Because none of them changed like the disciples did. It had to be more. And of course it was. When I went to seminary over 25 years ago, there was a real movement in our national church body to make sure the church attended to our feelings. It wasn't a bad thing per se, but it did lead to problems with how the church should be conducted. The kind of music we should sing and the style of sermons that were to be preached. The management of church, kind of like a social club instead of a church. Again, none of it bad in and of itself, but it could lead to a focus on self rather than Christ. And it could prioritize comfort rather than truth and often did prize feelings over faith. So when I arrived at seminary, you could tell they were addressing this slight left turn by reckoning our practice, theology, and organization. Our dean of students on day one, when we arrived, pulled out the Book of Concord and made it clear to all of us first-year students that it's not enough that you know this, you must believe it. One of the key things I noticed, that when people focused on their feelings, one professor would reply with, doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what you believe. This had such a profound effect on me, and as each year passes and many of these professors enter their heavenly rest, I adore them more and more as men who believed that made sure I believed too. Faith is what the disciples experienced, and faith is what you have as well. And Jesus was not kidding when he said, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there. And it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Not because our faith is great, but because God is great. For it was God who made the mountains, and will move them if he wants to. Just like when he moved the disciples around the world, preaching the gospel, conquering every mountain that ever got in their way. He continues to move the church to do what we never believed we could do on our own, because we no longer believe in ourselves but we believe in the one who died on the Mount of Golgotha, rose from the dead, and ascended to take his throne or his eternal kingdom on high. Yes, now we believe, and believing is the battle. Amen. Now may that peace that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.